Our scripture today uh, comes from Jeremiah 17, verses 1 to 10, and it's found on page uh, 1200 in your pew Bibles. It says, Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and their Asherah poles, beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain and the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder, together with your high places, because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its, sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Uh, We're continuing a series in Lent, and I think that this is a really useful passage for us in this season. Here I think we have a really important illustration for what it really looks like when Christians fall back into sin, and for why the repentance that's so important during Lent is necessary. Because the New Testament seems to characterize sinning after becoming a Christian very similarly to the way that Israel's behavior is understood here. Israel here has decided that they're so scared that they're going to go back to home to Egypt and make nice with them, hoping that they will protect them. In other words, they're trying to get the people that had once enslaved them to protect them. Sinning after becoming a Christian is like, becoming, like being freed from slavery and then going back home and making nice with your master until he slowly threatens to enslave you again. Uh, so let me give you a bit of a historical context for this. Um, the people of Judah had sinned against God in every which way, and so they earned his wrath. Now up north, there were two really big empires that were fighting it out. There was the big, bad Assyrian empire, which had oppressed Israel for a long time. And now this new Babylonian empire which was slowly gathering strength. In 605 BC, the Babylonians won a really decisive battle called the Battle of Carchemish against the Assyrians, which meant that they basically had control over everything. At this rate, it looks like Judah would never have a shot of avoiding invasion, since the Babylonians wanted to expand their territory even farther than the Assyrians had. Judah was a really tiny country with a really tiny army. And when you're a really tiny country with a really tiny army, your best bet is to find a really big country with a really big army to help protect you. You'd probably give them a bunch of money as tribute and pledge to be their loyal subject forever. So that's exactly what Judah did. They went to Egypt and said if they protected them from Babylon, they'd give them a bunch of money and become their subject. But if you know a whole lot about the history of Israel, this is kind of a bad look. The most important event in the entire history of Israel was when God freed Israel from slavery to Egypt 
and brought them out to the promised land. Egypt was the big bad guy, always breathing down their necks, hoping that they could get the Jews to come back and become slaves again. Just think about how absurd a situation they've put themselves in. They're actually going back to their old slave masters and making nice with them. But of course, all of this was predicted in the law. God said that if Israel didn't follow the law, then they would be sent right back down to Egypt. Deuteronomy 28 says that he would do it by sending them down in ships. In other words, it would be the precise opposite of Passover, except instead of miraculously parting the Red Seas, it would be by simply sailing in a normal old ship back to their place of slavery. God also told them in the law not to make defense treaties with other nations. Instead, he alone would protect them. He'd proved that well enough in the time after he freed them from slavery. They single-handedly handed them to conquer the entire promised land. Plus, whenever you make a deal with someone, there's always strings attached. If you're Israel and you have a treaty with Egypt, you're probably not going to do anything to cross them. Maybe you'd worship their gods or go to a war you have no business being in to pay them back for protecting you. Much better just to depend on God alone, as long as that's the one that actually protects you. And that's what Jeremiah is calling Israel to do at the beginning of this passage. He's saying that Israel has sinned against God over and over. And so if God wants Israel to be punished, they will be punished, whether they grab Egypt as an ally or not. So what they should do is repent and follow the law, trusting in God to protect them. And instead, they try to find some other protection that will never actually help anyway. But we face similar things ourselves. As Christians, we are God's chosen people today, just like Israel was God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And we also have been freed from slavery. Sin had once held us captive, and now we have been set free from it. There's a reason that Jesus' death happened at Passover, because it was there that God redeemed us from slavery. But sometimes we feel tempted to use sin to get ahead. Or we feel like we have to sin every once in a while for whatever weird logic that goes on in our heads. What we have to recognize is that this is almost the exact same thing as Israel returning to Egypt for protection. It's scary to try to live without sin sometimes. It's easy to think that our lives would be better if we just gave in every once in a while, because sin is what we're used to. But sin is our old slave master. Why do we think that sin would t wouldn't take every opportunity to try to enslave us again? Sin hates you, and it wants to destroy you. Like God says to Cain, it is crouching at your door, ready to devour you, and you must master it. But sin promises so much. Don't trust it. It's not looking out for your best interests. Think about how simple the decision really is here compared to how complicated Israel thought things were. You notice this in our passage today. It says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Uh, because he's like a shrub in the desert. This is what a shrub in the desert would have looked like to them in ancient Israel. Think how complicated that shrub's life really is. It's totally dependent on rainfall, which is not very reliable in that time. It has to think about, is it finally going to rain today? What do we do if it doesn't rain? How are we going to store up enough to make it to next year? And it's really similar when you trust other people, and especially sin, because it inevitably doesn't have your best interests at heart. Israel had to think, is Egypt going to actually help us if we give them tribute? What do we do if they don't? Along with a million other questions. Because in the end, Egypt didn't care about them. In the end, Egypt took their tribute and then hung them out to dry. 
and Israel was conquered and carried off into exile anyway. Sin makes stuff so much more complicated. You can probably see that in your own life. Think about just how much work it takes to lie instead of telling the truth. Think about just how much work it is to be angry instead of forgiving. Life is a lot more simple when you follow God and keep his commandments. And you see that in this passage. The one who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water. Here's a picture of what that will look like in the Jordan River. Its life is incredibly simple. It doesn't have to ask the question, where do I get my water? Are you kidding? Duh, it's right there. And it's there every single day, without fail, and it's all it's ever going to need. But God is just as reliable as that stream, even if we lose sight of it. In our prayer times before our Thursday Bible study, we've been reading little snippets of practical wisdom from the letters in the New Testament. And I've constantly been struck by just how simple the advice is. Stuff like, work with your hands, try to live at peace with everybody, look out for other people's needs. And I think about just how calming it would be to live with such a simple life. But that's what trusting God is really like, even if it's tough sometimes. We know where our water is coming from, and it never betrays us. We are trusting somebody that actually loves us and wants the best for us, and not something like Egypt that hates us and wants to use us for our own gain. Sin hates you and wants to enslave you, but God loves you and wants to set you free. It should be kind of obvious which one we pick. I don't own a dog, um, even though a lot of people have told me that they're really great and I should totally get one someday. Um, I don't know, but the Bible has said something that kind of soured me on the idea. Um, There's this proverb in the Bible that says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to its folly. And dog people, can you tell me whether that's actually a thing or not? Um, Do they actually vomit and come back to it? Oh, okay. I... (laughs) I didn't want to look that up uh, because that would be a weird thing to put in my search history. Um, Anyway, it really is the perfect analogy. Why would you ever want to come back to your own vomit? It's disgusting. It makes no sense. There's some weird thing going on in that dog's mind that none of us can even begin to understand. But I don't think it would really make much sense even if we did understand it. The same thing is true if we look at foolish people doing the same stuff over and over and expecting things to do great this time. Think about it from the perspective of God, and it will probably look something like a dog returning to its vomit. A person with a huge drug addiction has given his life over to the drug and makes his life so much worse, but he's still going to come back to it. To anyone that hasn't experienced drug addiction, it looks like a dog returning to its vomit. Why would you ever go back to your drugs? It makes no sense there's something going on in the mind of an addict that none of us can begin to understand. And the same thing is true for all sin. In Christ, the Bible says, we have been freed from the slavery to sin. At one time, we felt like we had to continue to sin and feed it as our slave master. We had to get it even with people who'd drawn us, or feed our illicit sexual desires, or take our anger out on other people. We had to grasp for power and do everything we can to gain status. And it promised us that it would make our lives better, but it really didn't come close. In fact, it made our lives so much worse and so much more complicated. Do I trust this person or that person? Do I push this advantage or that one? How do I make sure no one finds out about my secret sin? It makes us all stressed all the time, and for what? Do any of us really get what we seek out of those things? 
but Christ showed us a new way to live, which is one where you give yourself up in love for others, where you seek the good of others and prudently put your desires in line so that they can be used for the good of others and not just ourselves. And when we live like that, it's this enormous freedom because we're living in a way that we are always designed to live. But so often, we're tempted to go back to that old life, the one where you fight tooth and nail to extract some kind of money or sex or power from the world, all for ourselves and all for our own sake. It doesn't matter how bad it is for us, we're still going to do it. Maybe we think that the circumstances have changed and this time it will be different. Just know that it simply won't. It may not look like a whole lot at the time. We might think we can get some temporary advantage from our sin and then hop out of the way before it comes back to bite us. What we are doing is selling ourselves right back into slavery to the things that once held us captive. We're just like Judah, who were so afraid and failed to trust God, so they sold themselves right back to the slaveholders they were freed from. But let's not be too hard on Israel. What they were doing made a ton of sense. If a big army is coming to get you and you can't raise your own army to fight them, it makes sense to find another big army to help you out. Sure, the law says to trust God and not to make treaties with foreign powers, but let's be real here. I'm pretty sure every one of us would have done the same thing in that situation. Trusting God that much, even when the enemies are at the gates, does not really come naturally. But the passage accounts for this. The text says, The heart is deceitful above all things and incurably sick. Some of the things that our hearts are most sure about are actually totally and completely wrong. We would never notice it if we tried. From our point of view, it can sometimes really look like doing what is evil is freedom and doing what is good is slavery. So often that's because slavery that comes from evil really often comes down the road. Right now, it looks like the freedom of following and trusting God is slavery because it limits my options. I'm going to spend this money on myself, on something I don't need, or I'm going to lie just this once, or I'm going to get angry at this thing that I have no control over just because it feels good to be angry sometimes. And at the time, that looks like freedom because we've made a choice and we broke out from our constraints. But sin makes you a slave slowly, and eventually you're going to have a hard time spending money on others the right way, or telling the truth even when it's hard, or fighting off an outrage addiction. Israel really didn't think that they would become slaves when they asked Egypt for an alliance. They would be free free for a little while, to be sure. But Egypt was just going to ask for more and more and more until Egypt owned them. It was the inevitable result of any alliance between a tiny power and a great one. Sin does the same thing. It's going to ask for more and more until it owns you. To our deceitful and incurably sick hearts, it looks impossible and even unnatural to trust God like that. We do have an example who really did trust God that much. God's son, Jesus, gave up all of his power in full submission to his father, trusting that he would turn his obedience into something beautiful. And being found in human form, he followed the law of the gospel and not the kinds of laws that made sense to humans. He could have come as a conquering king that brought glory back to the people of Israel. He could have raised up plenty of rebels for his cause. Goodness knows there are plenty of rebellions around this time of Jesus. He could have enlisted the help of some powerful foreign kingdom, like Parthia, to throw off the Romans. And he could have sought glory and honor by calling down armies of angels, but he didn't. Instead, he took the hard path of suffering and love for others. 
He did the hard thing of trusting God with his entire self. And he became obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. But in doing that, he won a victory which is far more lasting. And he created a kingdom which was totally different from every other one in all of history. This is a kingdom that's based on a law that is not slavery, but freedom. It's one that makes humans more the way they're supposed to be, instead of putting them in bondage to something terrible that's warping them and making them miserable. And his trust was finally rewarded when God raised him up from the dead and made him victorious over evil and death. And now everyone who has been baptized has access to that very power that rose Jesus from the dead, and we can all experience a new Passover. We have been freed from the enslaving powers of things like Egypt and have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Paul says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters. So this week, take a look at the different ways you feel tempted to sin and fall back into slavery. And look at them soberly for what they are, because they're out to destroy you and take away your freedom and agency. All this is a huge deal, no matter how small it looks. During this time of Lent, it's a good time to be really aggressive with rooting out your tendencies to evil and slavery. You can fast and pray and work hard for 40 days, and all of this knowing that you're already a part of God's family. And in the end of all of it, we get to joyfully take a look at Easter, and maybe you'll be able to experience the freedom and joy of new life in Christ even more than you ever have before. Let's pray. God, help us to recognize that following you is freedom and following sin is slavery. Give us the faith to put to death our sins so we can be raised to new life with Christ. Amen.